0: beloved congregation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the Catechism devotes a lot of paper and ink to the two sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper. If you include the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 25, which is introductory, then there are no less than six Lord's Days dealing with the two sacraments. That's a very large part, considering that that the catechism is nothing more than a summary of God's word, and that the Bible itself does not deal with these two sacraments as extensively. Why then such an extensive treatment? Well, that is because the Roman Catholic Church put a lot of stock in the sacraments. They even tie your salvation to it. And so at the time of the Reformation, the people had to be carefully taught what the sacraments are all about. And now with these two Lord's Days, we first deal with the doctrine of baptism. There's a danger, because of the way the catechism is divided, that we would see baptism for two different groups. First for the adults, and then for children. The fact, however, is that baptism is exactly the same for adults as it is for children. God does not seal or signify anything different to a child than he does to an adult. The baptism for both groups has the same content, the same significance, and seals exactly the same thing. The reason why the baptism of children was given a separate treatment was because with the catechism, we do not just confess our biblical faith over against Roman Catholics, but also against those who believe in the baptism of adults only. And so that's why we take these two Lord's Days together this time. I will preach to you this afternoon about the great significance, you could also call it a signpost great significance of baptism first what it is secondly who it is for in the original edition of the catechism the question as posed and answer or in, in question 69 is different than it is now originally the question was asked how are you reminded and assured in holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? That question was recently changed. Now we speak about the significance and the seal. How does it signify and seal to you? Essentially, it's the same question, only given in a different form, except that in the way that we have it now, more precisely reflects the language of the Bible. Abram received circumcision as a sign and a seal of the righteousness which he had through faith. And now baptism is also a sign and seal. In the sermon we use the word significance. Notice that it has the word sign in it. It comes from a Latin word which means to make or to show by signs, that's the purpose of a sign. A sign visibly represents something. It is a picture that brings something to mind. So when you see a sign, you are reminded of something. Think, for example, of a traffic sign. We all know what traffic signs are for. For example, a stop sign. Stop sign has a unique shape and color You can recognize it from far away, even before you can read the words on it. When you see it from a distance, you know that in a moment you will have to stop. You are instantly reminded of the fact that you, that if you do not stop, you are putting your life in danger. And then all kinds of images may come to mind. You may be able to picture the possible carnage in your mind, the broken glass, smashed cars, possible injuries, death even. Or you may be able to picture that if somehow miraculously an accident does not happen, but a policeman sees you going through the stop sign without stopping, that then he will pull you over and give you a ticket. And also all kinds of images associated with that. So a stop sign brings to mind the image of safety. You realize that stop signs and other signs on the road are put there to prevent accidents and to aid the safe flow of traffic. Knowing that there are all kinds of stop signs as you make your way down the highway that gives you a sense of security and also a sense of freedom. You know that because of those signs, people will not come flying at you from all kinds of directions. Although you need to be observant, you can still then relax in your car and you can have a peaceful journey. Well, it's in that sense that baptism also functions. It's also a sign. It reminds us of something. Baptism reminds of everything to do with your salvation. It reminds you of your safety during your earthly travels. But it also reminds you that if you ignore that sign, then you're putting your life in mortal danger. And so what exactly does baptism remind you of? Well, says the catechism, it reminds you of the washing away of your sins. It reminds you therefore of the fact that you and I, we need to be washed. It reminds you of the fact that you and I are dirty, filthy even, that we are rotten to the core, that there is something seriously wrong with us and that you cannot enter God's kingdom if you're not washed, if you don't get rid of your filthy clothes I realize it's not language that's very popular in this day and age the world of today does not want to speak about the polluted state of mankind modern man speaks about the pollution of the rivers and the lakes and the oceans and the air and then get quite worked up about that but when it comes to their own pollution they are mute they're optimistic they think that man somehow can elevate himself and get himself out of the quackmire that he's in. But we can't. History has proven that. Let's take a look at our own lives. So now if you speak about the pollution of people then they give you that incredulous look as if You're something, as if there's something wrong with you. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? I may make mistakes, but I'm basically a good person. But the catechism reminds us, believers, of our total depravity. On the basis of God's word, it reminds us of what the scriptures tell us about ourselves. As James tells us in the first chapter of his letter, The law is like a mirror, and therein you see a reflection of yourself. It's not a pretty picture. For that reason, the sign of the water is such a powerful signpost for the believer. The Old and the New Testament believer could very well understand this, for during biblical times, clear, clean water was a precious commodity. It's not the same as it is now. Now all we have to do is turn open the tap and clean, clear water comes out. But in those days you had to travel to a well and you had to carry the water in buckets to your home or wherever you needed it. And you constantly needed that water for many purposes. You needed it especially for washing yourself. For Palestine is a very dusty country As soon as the winds pick up, it would blow in the dusty sand from the desert, which would permeate everything. And then you could wash yourself in that clean, clear water, and that would be wonderful. And then you feel like a new person. But we do not have to go back to biblical times to understand the refreshing and cleansing nature of water. Anyone who has ever worked in a fish shop as I did many years ago, or in a pig barn, or in a sewer pit, knows how welcoming a refreshing shower is after work is done. For the pungent smell of the environment in which you are working will enter every pore of your body, especially if you've been sweating. Every part of your body becomes permeated with a putrid smell. May not be aware of it yourself as much, but when you come into contact with others, they certainly will. At times they can smell you a mile away. You need a shower, a thorough scrubbing. You need clean clothes. A refreshing shower and clean clothes do wonders. And then you can once again enter the land of the living. And that is why in the Old Testament the Lord wanted the large copper laver to be placed in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Aaron and his sons had to wash their hands and their feet before they were allowed to work to do their work in the tent of meeting. It says in Exodus 30, verse 21, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. Just a moment ago, we sang from Psalm 26 that I wash my hands in innocence, that is because in the temple, the forgiveness of sins is indicated, is given. And There, it is given through the sacrifices. But the water there was not just for the outward washing of their skin. No, that washing was symbolic of their total pollution. It was symbolic of the fact that they were completely contaminated because of their sins and that they are odious to the Lord, and that they smelt to high heaven. The prophets understood the true significance of the need, not only for outward cleansing, but especially inner cleansing. For example, David cried out after his sin with Bathsheba, Perch me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And further, hide me from my sins, hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities, create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. And also the prophet Ezekiel said to the people Israel, after they had polluted themselves for years upon years with idol worship, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And the prophet Zechariah said to the people who were still under the yoke of the exile due to their sins. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Zechariah 13 verse 1. Zechariah speaks there about a fountain not just a trickle of water, no, a stream of cleansing and refreshing water shall be poured over Jerusalem, he says. What a signpost for the people of Israel. And how that must have sounded like music in their ears. And now in the New Testament, the same imagery is used. John the Baptist stands on the shores of the Jordan from wide From far and wide the people come to him to be baptized by him. They have heard his preaching and he told them in effect, you people, you are dirty. You smell. You're totally polluted from the inside out and you're not even aware of how dirty you are but God knows and he is fully aware of the smell that clings to your bones but he wants to wash you. He wants to remove all the dirt and the water of the Jordan is a symbol of his cleansing power. And later on, Lord Jesus comes to John to be to John the Baptist for himself to be baptized. At first, he refuses. He says to the Lord Jesus, "I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me?" And then Jesus says, "Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness." And then John consented. John the Baptist understood what the Lord Jesus meant. He would bear the sin and the pollution of mankind and all those who want to be cleansed from their sin. He who knew no sin would make himself to be sin. And so the Lord Jesus went to the Jordan and did so for your sins Just before his ascension, after his death, the Lord Jesus instituted Holy Baptism as a sign and a seal of his promise to wash us from our sins. What a wonderful sign that is for all of us as we make our way through life. Every time a child is baptized, you may remember the Lord has promised me, a great sinner, to wash me from my sins. And that is what you may remember young and old alike when you are overwhelmed by your own sins and when you realize what a hard battle it is to fight the evil one when you realize how weak you are of yourself. You can also remember that signpost of God when you are getting on in years and you remember the sins of your youth. You remember the many blunders you made in the bringing up of your children. And when you remember the wrong things you have said and done, that signpost is also an encouragement to you as a safety sign. When you are overwhelmed by the things that life can bring you, when you are in doubt about your own salvation, and then you remember that God is the one who through his son has redeemed you, rescued you from the grip of Satan. You don't have to be afraid. You're saved. And that's what the sign of baptism is all about. It's the most wonderful signpost on the road of life. But it also serves as a warning. We may not ignore that sign. We may not ignore that sign for our children either. You may not forget that only God can wash you from your sins. That is not something that you can do yourself. If you think that you can have something to do with your own salvation, you are going down the wrong track. For you may doubt at times. And if you depend on your own works, then you will wonder whether or not your works are good enough. Even if you depend on your own faith. Was my faith good enough? Was it strong enough if you're baptized on the basis of your faith? and So we realize how great our sins can be and also our circumstances, how bleak they can be. And that is why the scriptures also speak of this sacrament as a seal. A seal is something that authenticates. It guarantees authenticity like the seal of an official document. Even today, any document which has legal significance has to be signed by all the parties concerned, and then it is official. The document gets the imprint of the official authenticing and witnessing of those authenticating and witnessing the transaction, and then what happens to the document? Well, it is stored for safekeeping. Anytime you can take it out of that safekeeping spot and you can get it out of the safe, for example, and you can look at it and be assured of its validity. Whatever that document affirms is settled and binding, it cannot be changed. And that's the way it is with baptism. Baptism is like a seal on a document, the promises are sure. And look at the wonderful promises that baptism seals, it points to our renewal Today and into the future. The Lord God promises that all the destruction and pollution of redeemed mankind will be undone. There will be a new earth with new creatures. Doesn't seem like it right now yet, but it's springtime. Soon spring will be in full swing. Flowers will bloom and trees will become alive. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's God's doing. Spring reminds us of that. Reminds us of that he renews all things and that the final and great renewal will come in the last day. Listen to what we are told in the book of Revelation in chapter 21. The apostle John is shown the new Jerusalem. And there all the pollution is gone. For he says in chapter 21, verse 27... But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And further in the next chapter, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And the angel said, These words are trustworthy and true. Note well, however, that only those who have the name of the lamb on their foreheads will enter into it. In other words, only legitimate candidates can enter. Only they will experience such blissful future. Baptism is for the believers and their seed. That's clear enough from the scriptures. The Bible tells us whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The question is, does that speak only about adults? No. There are many references in the New Testament about baptism. In Romans 6, Paul deals with the oldest question put into the minds of men by Satan. Shall we keep on sitting so that we can all the more enjoy the grace of God? And then he reminds them, he warns them. Don't you know, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And he does the same thing with the Corinthians. He tells them that a divided congregation is not possible in view of the baptism which they received. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12 and 13, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? No, they were baptized in the name of Christ. Through baptism, we are all identified with Christ. And he says the same thing to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In Colossians 2, he clearly shows that baptism incorporates us into the circumcision of Christ. That is why now as question and answer 74 tells us, circumcision is no longer in effect. Baptism is. So what does baptism indicate? It indicates that we are washed sinners, washed in the blood of Christ. A baptized person now should no longer want to live in sin, as the catechism says. He flees from it, and he constantly throws himself at the mercy of God and begs for the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of life. And he's also one with the other believers. But does a child of God receive baptism because that is the way he is now or because of what God has done? In other words, what comes first, my actions or God's? Throughout scripture, God shows that his actions come first. He acts, man responds. God first comes with his promises as he did with Abraham. We could see that from Genesis 17. And then he gives circumcision as a sign and a seal. And the same thing is true for us with baptism. He First comes to us with his promises. The Same thing goes for a child. God first comes with his promises. He speaks to that child child cannot yet believe. But it does not take away his promises. The promises remain the same. But then as the child grows up, he also has to respond to his baptism. He or she may that do that officially at the time of the confession of his or her faith. The sign and the seal of the sacrament do not depend, therefore, on the words or actions of man then you will be on very shaky ground but at first depends on God that's where we begin and then baptism may serve as a signpost for the child as he grows up as well as for the adult the question the believers in baptism for adults only that they must ask themselves is what about our children are they in limbo Is their salvation assured only after they have become believers? Are they even before they believe in Christ or not? How come the children of the Old Testament were members of God's covenant through circumcision and not now through baptism? For baptism is called in Colossians to the circumcision without hands. Well, sure, baptism for children is not specifically commanded in the Bible. But do you really think that if now with the coming of the Lord Jesus, children are no longer included in the covenant, that then that would not have been mentioned? Well, that would have been quite a change. If now all of a sudden you had to do something before you could be part of God's covenant people. And so it did not need to be mentioned in the New Testament. The New Testament believer clearly understood that. Just like he clearly understood that also women were to be included in the covenant. Nowhere does it mention in the Bible that the women must attend Lord's Supper, for example. And yet they do. They clearly belong. They are members of God's covenant, just like everybody else. The same thing is true of children. And for that reason, the Bible mentions also many households that were baptized. It would have been highly unusual if in all those households, children were not included. Those who are against the baptism of children cannot satisfactorily answer these questions. I'm sure they have a dedication a ceremony in the worship service for newborn babies. But where does that custom come from? the Bible where and what does it mean how does God speak to the child does he see well let us now see what he will become I hope you will become a child of mine and so does it depend now on man whether or not God will have an empty heaven or a full one is God now without power is he waiting on man To come to him? Or does he come to us first? Has he now lost his sovereignty? Is he not supreme? Baptism, brothers and sisters, is a seal and a signpost for all of us, for our children and for all of us as adults. There is no difference whether we are adults or children. God visibly represents to all of us the gospel of salvation gospel is for us all god alone belongs to glory and for that reason it is so important that we teach our children to respond to their baptism oh sure sometimes children may walk away the israelites did as well they walked away from their covenant god and became lost that happens but that does not nullify god's promises and the surety that we may have of god's promises And we must learn that time and again. And that is why baptism is always done in a worship service too. For it is for the strengthening of our faith to remind us of what God has done so that we can respond to it. And so let none of us reject the wonderful promises of God. He alone can renew us and he alone can renew this polluted creation. We ourselves have nothing to offer in that regard except to respond in faith, and also that faith is a gift from God. What a wonderful signpost that God, the Lord God has given to us, brothers and sisters. He promises to wash us and our children from all our sins. We may believe, we can believe, and we must believe that, For the Lord has spoken, his word is true. That is why, if we truly believe, we can also partake of the other sacrament, the Lord's Supper, which betrays to us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. God gives us many signposts in life. Why? Because we need it. He knows how easily we go off the beaten track, how easily we disobey his signs. And so let us use these signposts, brothers and sisters, all of our lives. Let us use them until the end of our days. Let us allow ourselves to be constantly reminded of the wonderful God that we have, who washes us from our sins. What a wonderful gift. How great it is to belong to God's people. What a privileged people we are. Amen.